0: Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia DeLore, the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras, and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week, we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. Today's guest is Fiona Hunter, a highly respected and experienced nutritionist, food writer, and broadcaster. Fiona helps consumers translate complicated and confusing messages into meals that they and their families can enjoy. So start thinking about metaphors that deal with food. And here's a hint. Sometimes we are told not to eat too many sweet things. But I know people who can eat up to six mangoes and more for breakfast. Talking about breakfast, I like porridge oats or oatmeal, depending on where you live, how you like to say it. But I don't like it with fruits as that makes it sweet. And as I've started to enjoy having my oatmeal or my porridge oats using water instead of milk or almond milk, which is actually quite nice, I'm really feeling a lot healthier. But you're not here to listen to talk to me about breakfast and porridge oats are you? Have you deciphered what our metaphor could be this week? In today's episode we'll explore the origins and meanings of the saying you can have too much of a good thing. I agree that at first this saying doesn't sound like the funniest one because it implies an idea of restriction but we'll explore how learning how to control yourself as well as self-discipline can help you grow and enjoy things more you can have too much of a good thing, has been widely used by different authors throughout the ages. Indeed, the first trace of this expression we can witness in the English language was in Shakespeare's play, As You Like It, written in 1599, at the very end of the Renaissance. Remember this date, for it will have its importance later. The novel follows the story of Rosalind, a girl who runs away from her house after her uncle threatens her. In order to travel incognito, she disguises herself as a guy named Ganymede. Throughout her journey, she encounters many dangers and defies patriarchism and gender prejudices of her time. Along her adventure, she bumps into Orlando, a man who knew her before she left home and who she is in love with, and who feels the same way about her. However, because of her disguise, Orlando doesn't recognize her and thinks she is a man. In order to know what Orlando really thinks about her, Ganymede pretends to be Rosalind, so Orlando can perform his best catch-up line on her. The dialogue goes like...
1: Am I not your Rosalind? I take some joy to say that you are, because I would be speaking of her. Well, then in her person, I say I will not have you.
2: Then in my person, I die.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, Faith die by attorney. The poor world is almost 6,000 years old, and in all this time, not any man died in his own person
3: in a love cause. Men have died from time to time, and worms have eaten them, but not for love.
1: I would not have my right Rosalind of this mind, for I fear
2: her frown might kill me.
3: By this hand, it will not kill a fly. But come, now I will be your Rosalind in a more coming on disposition, and ask me what you will, I will grant it.
2: Then love me, Rosalind.
3: (laughs) Yes, faith will I. Fridays and Saturdays and all.
4: And wilt thou have me?
3: Aye, and twenty such. What sayest thou? Are you not good? I hope so. Well then, can one desire too much of a good thing?
0: In this case, the saying is obviously said ironically. Rosalind is asking Orlando what he's afraid of, as the only things he can get are too much pleasure and happiness. This is, as previously mentioned, the first example of this saying used in the English language. However, the sentence itself was used centuries ago and goes back to Aesop's work, a Greek fabulist and storyteller well known for being at the origin of many common sayings, such as to blow hot and cold, or obviously the statement, it is possible to have too much of a good thing. Even though they were born more than 2,000 years apart, Aesop and Shakespeare were very similar, in the way that both their existence was so mysterious and is now subject to many theories and fantasies. For example, some people raised the question about Shakespeare authorship as his social class and obscure past seems incompatible with his writing genius. Aesop, even though living in Greece, has been supposed by many historians to be Ethiopian. But apart from that, they both have very different and interesting takes on you can have too much of a good thing. In Aesop's version, the saying is not used ironically. In ancient Greece, especially during Aesop's life, times were sometimes very tough and people were often living in the moment, knowing that their happiness might not last forever. It's in this perspective that Aesop, who was born as a slave, who then became a famous storyteller who later was sentenced to death for offending the people of Delphi, wrote this sentence. But how can it be after 2,000 years, two authors have come to use the same expression, popularizing it each time? Well, let's go back to the era we mentioned earlier, the Renaissance. This era in which Shakespeare lived was deeply inspired by the ancient Greek arts, philosophy, and minimalist mentality. Fables
1: are traditionally short stories with talking animals as the main characters. These animals have all the usual shortcomings of people and get themselves in all kinds of trouble. Fables typically carry a cautionary tone or convey a moral lesson, but the very nature of these stories with amusing animals instead of people makes them more palatable. They don't come across as scolding. People have been telling these kinds of stories forever. It's part of what we call the oral tradition of storytelling. Eventually, someone started writing fables down. We've been reading them ever since. The most famous of these stories are Aesop's fables. These include the tortoise and the hare, a story with the moral, slow and steady wins the race. There's also the boy who cried wolf, Which teaches the importance of telling the truth so your word may be trusted. Many of our oldest truisms like don't count your chickens before they're hatched or look before you leap come from Aesop's fables. There are hundreds of these tales attributed to Aesop, each serving as a gentle guide.
0: Even nowadays this mentally still has an impact on our society and pop culture as shows for example the Kylie Minogue song Too Much of a Good Thing, released in 1991. In today's episode, we're honored to welcome Fiona Hunter. Fiona began her career working as a dietitian for the NHS, and that's a national health service for people who are not familiar with the English term. For the last 17 years, she has worked as an independent nutrition consultant, writer and broadcaster. Her opinions and work have appeared in many publications, including national newspapers and magazines, as well as on TV and radio. She's also a respected member of the British Dietic Association and the Guild of Food Writers. It's in the company of such a prestigious guest that we are lucky to discuss our saying with today. During the interview, we talk about food quite a lot and some of it can be triggering for people suffering from eating disorders. This is a very important issue, so feel free to skip it to avoid any triggers. If you or anyone you know needs help battling this disorder, please contact your local GP or the national helpline beatingeatingdisorders.org.uk. Fiona, thank you so much for being on Metaphorically Speaking. Of course, when I read about you, I simply knew that I had to have you on the program because I'm guilty of of eating all the wrong foods and knowing that they were wrong for me and I just kept eating them. And I thought, I am more disciplined now, but I know there are lots of listeners who are in the same boat as me and I thought perhaps you could try to encourage us to put us on the right path. Of healthier eating.
3: I'll do my best and thank you for inviting me. I'm not surprised people are confused because there's a lot of misinformation around about diet and nutrition. I love the internet but you can't trust what you read on the internet unfortunately. So yeah people are confused about what we should and what we shouldn't be eating and how much we should be eating and how often and uh, so hopefully I'll be able to
0: answer some of your questions. Okay so let's start off with our metaphor, which, of course, is very timely, I think, for what, everything that's happening worldwide now. We are thinking of our health more than ever before coming off a COVID-19 pandemic. You can have too much of a good thing. When we relate that to food, what does that mean to you? It means
3: that some things that are very healthy in themselves can be a bad idea if we eat too much of them. Now, a good example of this is vitamins and minerals, for instance. They're vital, but if you eat too much of them, it can cause problems. It's not often the case with food. But when people start taking supplements, you know, and there is this idea the little is good, more must be better. It's certainly not the case with vitamins and minerals. And one of the first things I learned at university was about a group of Arctic explorers back in the 40s, I think. Can't remember the whole story, but they ran out of food and they came across a polar bear. They decided to eat the polar bear and they ate his liver. And the liver is a very, very concentrated source of vitamin A. Now, vitamin A is is good for us, but... If we eat too much, then it can be toxic. And the explorers died because they ate the liver of the polar bear, which was very high in vitamin A. That just illustrates the point. You know, in small amounts, some things are good for you, but in large amounts, not necessarily so.
0: But I've also realised that when people say you can't eat too much of something, you should eat little, it would be easier if we were guided in terms of the quantities or the weight Everyone wants things to be prescriptive.
3: Unfortunately, nutrition isn't like that. It's not, it's never black or white. So it depends on all sorts of things. It depends on your body shape, your body size, your genetics. Some people have a tendency to put on weight. They only need to look at a cream cake cake and they've gained, you know, five pounds. Where others can seem to eat what they want and not gain any weight. So unfortunately, it's not easy to be prescriptive. The one thing that we can be, fairly certain of is fruit and vegetables. You need to eat at least 400 grams a day. Now that's five 80 gram portions. Now, again, this causes confusion because people always say, well, what's a portion? You know, a good visual clue is if you clench your fist and you make a loose fist, that's what a portion looks like roughly. So whether you're eating broccoli or grapes or carrots, That's roughly what a portion looks like. And you need to eat five of those portions a day. And we know that that brings a whole lot of health benefits. But on the subject of fruit and veg and on our topic, you can have too much of a good thing. Some things like fruit, obviously good for us, if you eat them in reasonable amounts. But if you eat huge quantities, then it's it's not so good for us. Now, I have a friend who used to munch her way through a whole box of grapes, you know, one of those sort of little plastic containers, yes. five grams in the evening while she was watching TV. Well, that's over 300 calories, and that's 80 grams of sugar. That's about 16 teaspoons of sugar. Now, Grapes are healthy, a healthy form of sugar, um, much more so than a chocolate bar, for instance, or chocolate biscuits. But at the end of the day, it's still sugar, which can affect our, affect our blood sugar levels, and it's still calories. So that's another example of the, you know, the metaphor that we're talking about today.
0: Can you substitute healthy, fresh foods for vitamins and supplements? Supplements are never
3: uh, a substitute for a healthy, balanced diet. You know, occasionally people think you know they can pop a pill and that's it. You know, they don't have to worry about their fruit and veg. And it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. We're still learning about all the, the good stuff that fruit and veg contains, you know, vitamins, minerals, fibre, these things called phytochemicals, which are the um the things that give fruit and vegetables their characteristic colour. Now we know that there are over 5000 different phytochemicals that have been identified to date. And scientists are still discovering more. So that's why you can't get everything that you would get in a carrot in a pill. You know, life would be a bit boring, wouldn't it? Food is meant to be enjoyed, it should be one of the great pleasures in life. So, you know, Dee, would you like to just pop a pill and think that you were done with food for the day?
0: Oh no, no, definitely not. <laughs> no, no, no. I have to say that I was recently told about a specific diet, and that's because, like many, so they say women, more women than men of my age, when we get to that kind of perimenopausal and postmenopausal times, our digestive systems go haywire. And sometimes foods that we ate when we were younger just cause havoc with our system. So I went on this diet called a FODMAP diet. I don't know whether you're familiar with that.
3: I do know all about FODMAPs, yes.
0: What do Um, do you think about FODMAP? Because a lot of people don't know about this diet. What do you think of it? FODMAPs are a
3: type of carbohydrate that can cause problems with, if you're, it's not really an allergy, it's an intolerance, and can cause digestive problems like bloating and, and gas. And you find them in all sorts of foods, you know, a lot of beans and pulses, foods like onions, some types of sugar as well. And just some people seem to react very badly to them. And it causes a type of irritable bowel syndrome, you know, digestive problems. So, you know, people have found it very beneficial. It's quite a hard diet to follow, I have to say. I don't know how you've found it, Delia. Hey,
0: has it helped you? It really has helped me. And to be honest, I haven't felt it was difficult. I mean, I've got my list of foods that are low, medium, and high. And I straight away, when I looked at them, I realized I was eating most of the things that were high. And Some of the things that were low, I liked, but I just didn't eat them. And I think that we are creatures of habit and we tend to more or less eat the same things all the time. Because one of the other points that I wanted to to make
3: is that it's very easy to get stuck into a food rut and we buy the same things week in, week out, and we Mm. cook the same things. I'm guilty, I'm as guilty of it as anyone else. Now, Variety, it's the spice of life, but it's also the key to a healthy diet. And what happens sometimes, again, just to take it back to our uh, our original metaphor, people know that something like broccoli is healthy, for instance, or kale, and they forget about all the other fruit and vegetables that we have available to us. Now you need to eat a variety, different nutrients, and that way you can be sure that you get the, the full quota of everything. So while broccoli is super healthy, you know you can't just eat broccoli. You need to eat broccoli and carrots. And the way that nutritionists often explain it is if you think about the colours of the rainbow, and you should be eating some fruit or veg from each of those colour bands each day. But the other point that you've made, Delia, which is really important, is that we must all listen to our bodies. And what works for me might not work for you. You know we're all different, and there's not a one size fits all when it comes to to diet. And you're right, as we get older men and women our gut bacteria change that the they call the gut microflora the the friendly bacteria that we have living in in our gut and that can cause all sorts of digestive problems so you have to listen to your body and you know if something doesn't suit you then there's no reason to eat it you know that you can always find something else
0: yeah, and I thought it was something that we should mention because a lot of people don't realize that they think there's something wrong with them. They're not thinking it's the food that they're eating that's making them feel ill. Are in denial of that. With
3: digestive problems, it for sure can be diet. Sometimes it can be the way that we're eating. We all tend to eat too quickly these days. No one's got enough time to sit down and eat properly. Well, actually, I live in France and that's, you know, people do take time to have meals. In France, a meal is eaten at a table with a knife and fork. And it's a little starter, of course, and usually a dessert. But when I lived in London, everyone was rushing around all the time and, you know, you'd see people eating on the tube. That's it doesn't allow you to digest your food properly. We need to focus on our food. We need to eat slowly. We need to chew our food properly. And that's all quite helpful as well. But if any of your listeners think they have got an allergy or an intolerance or something in their diet is causing health issues. What I normally encourage people to do is to keep a, a diet diary. And you need to do this over a period of about two or three weeks. And you write down the time of day, how you're feeling, whether you're feeling happy, whether you're feeling sad, whether you're feeling stressed, who you're with, whether you're by yourself, you know, whether you're with a friend, what you ate and how you feel. Then you can look back at that diary and you can hopefully identify a trigger that, oh, every time I've eaten onions or every time I've eaten leeks, I felt bloated and, you know, I spent longer on the loo than I I wanted to. You know, so you don't automatically make those connections unless you see it on paper. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, definitely. And uh, listeners, it's not because Fiona is the voice of reason and experience that you should say, Okay, then that's what you say, you know. I'm saying to you, it's happened to me and it's happened to a lot of my friends when they say, I just don't know, I just don't feel myself, you know, and they try to think the worst. They think, oh, maybe I've got cancer. They start to think all kinds of things. And then when I talk to them, and I tell them it's to do for me, it was to do with my food choices, which I wrote down. I used an app and that's another alternative. Not everyone likes to write things down, but I actually found when I wrote things down, it was clearer because I could see it straight away. And what how I did it as well, is I did like say one as in didn't feel good and five as in felt good. I actually did a little graph instead of writing the numbers down, so I could see it straight away. I could see, well, today I felt good. What did I eat? And I could see it. And today, I, I, you know, I wasn't feeling too good. What did I eat? And I could see. And this thing just pops out at you. The things that you sometimes you don't even think like, for me, they always say wheat bread is more healthy than white bread. So I ate wheat bread. And then I realized with the FODMAP, I have an intolerance for wheat bread. It does not work. I get bloated. And that was one of the last things I removed from my diet because I enjoyed it. I loved it so much. I never thought that, that was the thing that was causing it
3: oh it's the way forward now pens and paper seem to be old-fashioned you know it's all about apps isn't it yeah so.
0: but it's not for everyone you know apps aren't for everyone and you know some of us we do both of them i and not as i said i like the visual i can just pick it out and see the big piece of paper in front of me and like wow and it's amazing sometimes it's nothing to do with, it can
3: be nothing to do with your diet you know it might be something else it might be when you're stressed if you have a, a team meeting every you know every monday morning it might be anxiety about the meeting or something like that. got to see patterns uh, emerging.
0: Yes, I I think one of the, and I hate to say good things, good is not the right word, but one of the things that came out of the COVID-19 pandemic is, is that it made us more alert and more compassionate when it came to being anxious. And it was easier for us to admit that we were anxious now, you know, because of the pandemic. And I think that, it's not just because of the pandemic that we were anxious, it has allowed us to feel more comfortable to say, you know, I do get anxious when I know I've got that meeting first thing on a Monday morning. I do get anxious when my boss has asked me to analyze something that I'm not sure about. You know, I do get anxious when I I worry whether my child has eaten properly or not, you know, all these things. So I, I feel that in a way, anxiety goes a little against our metaphor. You can have too much of a good thing, but (laughs) at the same time, it's healthy to have a bit of anxiety, right?
3: Yeah, I guess so. You've got to feel, you've got to feel energized and, you know, sort of pumped up sometimes. It's a bit like doing radio interviews like today. I love talking to people and I love doing this sort of thing, but I do feel anxious just before, you know, just before the red button uh, says you're live. Mm -hmm. I can feel my heart fluttering.
0: Yeah yeah but the other thing that I always kind of wondered, you know, when it came to eating the right types of foods, I've heard doctors say that if you eat healthily, there is no need for vitamins. And they actually prefer if we don't take them, even like the multivitamins, and they'll say, no, 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 if you eat healthily, there's no need for that. What mm-hmm. do you think of that? Well, again, there
3: is no easy answer to this. There's no black and white answer. I eat very healthily because I like to cook, but I still take a multivitamin and Mineral supplement it's like I see it as an insurance policy for days when I don't you know perhaps eat as healthily as I should or I don't get my five a day but I take you know a very basic one from a a well-known pharmacy on the high street in the UK it's not expensive and I take it in line with the recommended prescribed dose on the back I don't take more I don't take less I think if we all ate our five a day or five plus and we ate super healthily Yes, we probably do get everything that we need, but I'm not certain. We don't know how much vitamin C is in the broccoli that we bought last week and it's been languishing in the back of our fridge for four or five days. We don't know about the soil that the vegetables were grown in, that the potatoes were grown in, for instance, how much selenium is in that soil. So there's a lot about nutrition that we still don't know.
0: You know, Fiona, sometimes we hear certain things and we just take them for granted without truly understanding what it means. And here's one of the things Uh someone might say, oh, Dina, you're being ignorant here. But I don't understand. OK, we are all from different cultural backgrounds. And because of that, some of us are susceptible to different types of diseases and food habits. Why is that the case?
3: Oh, it's a good question. I mean, it's I absolutely agree with you. And it goes back to what we were saying, I was saying earlier about there's not a one size fits all. So for instance, people from Afro-Caribbean backgrounds and Asian backgrounds often don't do very well with dairy, with milk products, because they lack an enzyme called lactase, which allows you to digest milk, because milk isn't a big part of the, the diet for adults in, in Asia, for instance. So lactase is a use it or lose it enzyme. So if you're not having a lot of dairy products in your diet, you lose the ability to digest. That's called lactose intolerance. And about a third of the population are lactose intolerant. But genetically, we're all different, you know, and and that has to have a bearing on on the sort of diet, the sort of food that we we need to nourish our body.
0: Mm. Can someone become addicted to eating healthily?
3: Yes, and it's becoming more common. There is a condition called orthorexia, which is an addiction to to healthy eating. It really, on the same spectrum as anorexia nervosa, which is not eating and and bulimia, is an eating disorder. And someone becomes so obsessed with with eating healthily that it can be unhealthy. But that's often a a psychological problem that needs to be dealt with by by a biotherapist. But there's so much about diet and, you know, and food in the news now everywhere we look every magazine every newspaper tv programs they're all telling us what we should and what we shouldn't be eating and as i started at the very beginning of this interview is unfortunately there's a lot of misinformation out there you know yeah. and a lot of people will say
0: well this worked for me so I think it'll work for you no it doesn't work like that but you know we're talking about having too much of a good thing so a lot of people will be thinking of what do most people love us with ice creams and sweet sweet things all those yes. kind of things
3: you know all things in moderation. You know, my friends are always fascinated to know what I eat. And, it, you know, when we go out to eat in, in a restaurant, you know, they always look to see what I've chosen. And when I'm in the supermarket, I often catch people, you know, just sort of taking a sneaky little peek at my trolley to see what I've got <laughs> in there. When I eat everything, I mean, I love chocolate. I like ice cream. I like. I love crisps. I could eat my own body weight in crisps in a, you know, a Well <laughs> so The way that I deal with it, because I also have very little willpower, so if those things are in the house, I will eat them. When I'm feeling a bit, you know, la, yeah. Usually in the afternoons when I'm a bit tired. If there were biscuits, if there was chocolate, if that sort of stuff was in the house, I would eat it. Oh, that's sad I'm hearing I'm, you Well, we do always have chocolates in the house because I like I like to cook with chocolate but I have to make my husband hide it <laughs> often when I come back to work in the afternoon you know I think oh just a, I need a little treat so I need something to you know and I know there's chocolate in the house somewhere so yeah I do have my uh sort of guilty pleasures but it's much easier if they're not for me if they're not in the house or if yeah, you do have have them because other family members maybe you've got kids or you know don't keep them on display there there was a, a nice piece of research done where they took office workers and they gave them a jar of sweets and they monitored how many sweets that they ate and the mm-hmm. first week it was an opaque jar so they couldn't really see what was in the jar mm-hmm. the next week same jar of sweets but it was a clear glass jar so they could see the sweets and yeah. they ate twice as many on the week when they could see the sweets. So the same thing happens with a biscuit tin, for instance. If you have a biscuit tin or something like that, hide it away. Because the chances are when you get into the kitchen, you think, oh, biscuit, that would be nice. Yeah. (laughs) When you open the fridge, make sure sure? the things you see are the healthy things, you know. Uh, Is this resonating with you?
2: Oh,
0: my gosh. Well, you know, all you've described to me is called discipline. It's like the height of being disciplined and another version of tough love. That's all that sounded like to me. I don't know if it's being disciplined. It's about finding ways to allow you to
3: have that willpower or, you know, finding strategies that will allow you to avoid treatment. Triggers, triggers that cause you to eat more than you want. And again, a food diary can be a really good way of, of doing that. Same sort of thing as we talked about earlier. You look at the patterns, you write down how you're feeling, look at what you ate and, and the patterns. So
0: Fiona, how can we get in touch with you? You can
3: look at my website. I work with another dietitian called Juliet Kello. Um, so the address for the website is Hunter hunterkello.com nutrition.com that's h u n t e r k e w l o w nutrition to
0: lovely well thank you I've had a whale of a time just asking you all these sporadic questions that I'm thinking I know my friends have asked me these things or we've just had discussions and we don't really know if what we're saying is the truth or not. But I think the bottom line is, as you say, you have to just be mindful and know that what works for you won't necessarily work for someone else. But it is proven that especially when it comes to food, if you want to feel better, you can have too much of a good thing. It's not something that's a long term that's better. So thank you for all the explanations, quite as clear as day.
3: Thank you for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, the other metaphor that that we could talk about at some point is you are what you eat yes <laughs> that's, that's
0: what that is so thank you so much fiona okay bye now have a good day and you thank you so much fiona for such a professional and helpful insight we should enjoy good things but definitely within limits Let's now return to our sayings, in which we'll explore furthermore this notion of limitation. One of the reasons you can have too much of a good thing is also so popular today is because we as a society are also getting tired of overconsumption and instant gratification. Since the middle of the 20th century, most of the world has been increasingly more capitalist throughout the years, even if this system brought some good things and was the only opponent to Communism during the Cold War. It also carries a bunch of negative aspects we now want to get rid of. Destroying the environment through overproduction, destroying wildlife, accelerating global warming and creating food droughts, or sometimes destroying our own lives, with food addictions leading to obesity and other eating disorders, or even social media addiction having a dangerous and long-lasting impact on the younger generation's mental health.
4: In order to solve climate change, we need to fix capitalism. And I don't want to go crazy with this, capitalism have a lot of good things, but this overconsumption is the poison of capitalism, man. That is the worst thing. It's just driving people to do and buy shit that they don't need. Look, it's easier to make a widget and sell it a million times than design a widget that can last longer and be used more times. You growing up and being able to buy what you want or what you need is a problem that happens only in developed societies. Again, the US, 4% of the population, but about 16% of the global emissions. People throw the garbage out. Just go and look, brand new chairs, brand new printers, things that are pretty new that in my country in Argentina would have never been thrown out. That is overconsumption. You don't need to do that. But again, it's I don't blame the consumer per se. I think the companies are overproducing and pushing products that people really don't need because they need to sell, they need to grow, they need to push the bottom line. Everything needs, to, they have obligations to their shareholders and that's the driving factor. So. Consumers have limited choices. Even if they want to do the right thing, they can only do as good as the options they have in front of us. So I think the greater responsibility lies on the companies that are creating those products that consumers buy.
0: After decades of taking pride in achieving the highest level of comfort and security, We have reached in human history. People are now realizing that a good thing never comes without consequences. Cheap meat comes with animal cruelty and its quality endangering our health. Cheap clothes come with underpaid jobs and child labor. And our cars, whether they are electric or not, are made with components dug up in horrendous conditions in Africa. In 2020, the media Al Jazeera led an investigation on child labor in the Democratic Republic of Congo. In the mining town of Kolwezi. The desperate and poor are looking for cobalt it's a vital component in batteries used in goods ranging from electric cars to phones and laptops more than half of the world's cobalt is produced in the democratic republic of congo tens of thousands of children are estimated to be used to dig for the toxic metal without protective clothing they are here with their parents who say the whole family has to work to survive we are here because we are suffering we have nothing to eat The foreign mining companies won't give us jobs. They are getting rich from our minerals, but we stay poor. The non-profit organization International Rights Advocates accuses some of the world's largest tech companies of being involved in a system of forced child labor in DR Congo. The group says some children have died mining cobalt and others have been seriously injured. We've now come to realize that our comfort and lavish way of life were possible at the extent of others. If we'd care about human rights and decency, it would be unfair to think about one's own happiness without thinking of the consequences our actions are provoking. Having too much of a good thing can also create addictions that then can turn into a vicious circle. Phones, social medias, online video games are all inventions created so they would make communication easier, connecting people all around the world abolishing frontiers and linking the whole world together. However, all the devices and new technologies also carried their dose of addictions. It is easy to scroll through Instagram or TikTok. A simple click and more pictures, more videos pop onto your screen, calculated by an algorithm selected for you. So you would always watch another one and another one and another one. Watching and scrolling releases serotonin in our brain. The chemicals causing the feeling of happiness like nicotine and alcohol do. As cigarettes and alcohol... Social medias are a way to escape, to relax, to stop thinking about all the issues and difficulties surrounding us. These artificial paradises can seem reassuring at first, but are self-consuming, preventing us from thinking too much, and therefore how to resolve a situation or escape one's condition. Samia Khanna, a psychology student at the University of British Columbia, recently presented a TED Talk on the subject.
5: We've all been there, sitting alone in your room, trying to magically absorb the term's readings in one night. Your midterm is tomorrow, and you told yourself no more Instagram until chapter nine is done, but you're only three-fourths done chapter seven, and you're on Instagram again. Whoa, everyone else must be so smart. I mean, how are they on top of their stuff? Don't they have to study too? But then again, you haven't gone to class in a week thinking it'd be more productive for you to stay home and look over your readings yourself, which you would have done if you hadn't spent that whole time catching up on season five of Scandal. Definitely worth it. Except now you're kind of regretting that, seeing everyone else who clearly didn't waste their time. So you tell yourself, okay, I know what I have to do now. You sit up straight, decide to focus, and spend one more hour going through all your social media feeds. How are you back here again? Well, we are the social media generation. According to findings from the Pew Research Institute, social media usage has increased by about 1,000% in the past eight years for the ages 18 to 29. 98% of college-age students use social media, so basically all of us. And on average, we spend about two hours a day on these sites. So it's no surprise we find ourselves on these sites over and over again. We're hooked. Marketing professionals spend millions of dollars getting, luring us to use these sites and keeping us on there. They know how to get us to go on these sites and continue going on them. They know what updates to use, like going from favorites and stars on Twitter to now hearts and likes. And they see which ones are successful or not.
0: So what can we do if we can't have too much of a good thing? Should we just live in sadness, being miserable and blaming ourselves if we ever feel happy? No, far from that. Having too much of a good thing is not enjoying something, it's making an excessive use of something. Our life needs to be balanced. Yes, we sometimes need to work hard to go through different painful steps in order to reach our goals. But it is okay to relax. We're not machines. We're human. It is okay to need a rest. It is okay to have weaknesses. Everybody does. We must avoid to wallow in idleness. We must be ambitious to become the best version of ourselves. But we cannot be perfect. As our imperfections are what make us human, it is what makes us unique. Too much of a good thing is such an important saying nowadays because it goes against the principle of instant gratification technology provides today. It is easier to have a laid back life, but one must learn how to work, focus, and challenge themselves in order to evolve, to progress, and eventually. be happy. It is not a bad thing to have nice things. We all deserve to relax. We all have a guilty pleasure. But it is also important to learn self-discipline, to take time to have fun, but also to work. As the French TV presenter Mouloud Ankur once said, one day I learned that I had to work a lot in order to have a little bit of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something new. Thank you to our writer, Paul Feriti for producing such wonderful research and putting everything together. And of course, thank you to our guest, Fiona Hunter, for sharing what food can and can't do to us so that we don't have too much of a good thing. And whilst I'm saying thank you, if you check our podcast, there is a full credit list of our team. So I'd like you to do that. Check the podcast because we have such wonderful shows there. So now I'd like to thank our editor, Rita Limau, for just being a gem. And thank you for joining us today. We'd love you to share the show with your friends, so feel free to leave a review on colorful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. And if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, we are always glad when we receive them. And you can send it to info at Join us for another metaphor next week. Until then, keep safe. I'm Delia Delore. Goodbye.